Look back with me in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Who are we representing? Well, the living hope. The living hope. And I, and I want to remind you, even as our kind of mission statement of our church, uh, it can really be summed up in kind of five, five words. It's to reflect Christ, or represent Christ, rather. It's to represent Christ and to, rep- and to reflect our community. So that's kind of summed up, but get the first part, to represent Christ. That's the mission. of our. We want to represent Christ well in all the circles of influence that he gives us. So who is it that we're representing? How can we represent someone we don't even know well? So Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, get it, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our what? Hope. He is our hope. He is our living hope. So if you, you know, if you want to, thinking about, okay, who do I represent? Well, you're representing Jesus Christ as our living and as your living hope. One of the songs that we sing often here, and you're going to see some of the words up on the screen, I will not try, don't worry, I won't try to lead you in this song right now. But as we sing this from time to time, I want you to think through, as, as I say some of these words, think through what we sing and the meaning that is drawn from Scripture of how Jesus truly is our living hope. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Recently, we changed insurance companies, and so with that, uh, we got uh, some information, and I noticed that our primary care physician was someone I had never heard of. I've never seen this doctor's name, uh, but that was just whoever this insurance company assigned to us for 2024. So I pretty soon, you know, after that, I called, and I said, no, we, I, I need to change this. It's, this is not my doctor. Uh, it's not my primary care physician, and so that was, that was changed, I think. We'll see the next time I go uh, if we have any problems did the same for Kim but the the fact is none of you I, I, I guarantee that none of you have a primary care physician that has already died none of you have on your calendar I'm gonna I'm gonna have an appointment with primary care with doctor so-and-so oh yeah he passed away five years ago Of course not, because he can't help you, he can't see you. As smart as that doctor may have been, he is not there. He's no longer able to to guide you, to come up with a treatment plan. He is not there. So you go to a living 
doctor. You go to someone who can, can see you and can check you and can order exams and follow your treatment plan. You go to a living doctor. I guarantee that none of you who play sports has a coach who passed away 10 years ago or even two days ago. You have a coach that is living. He comes to the practices. He's there at the games. He coaches you and he's able to say, hey, you did this wrong and this is the way you do it right. And he encourages you and sometimes he gets on to you, but he is a living coach. In a much more significant way, we serve the living hope, Jesus Christ. We don't serve a relic. We don't serve just a tradition. We don't serve someone that lived 200, 300, 400 years ago. We serve the living hope, Jesus Christ. That should make all the difference in the world to you. That's one reason why our, uh, if you even want to call it a religion, why Christianity is so different. Because it's all about a relationship. It's not about looking back to someone who was prominent during their lifetime and then passed on and, and they just have their writings. And No, we, we look to the living hope, Jesus Christ. But not only that, Peter reminds us that we serve and we are to represent the living word. The living word, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now, I think John's first few verses in, in the, the book of John, the Gospel of John, are a phenomenal support of this truth that Peter's teaching in, in uh, 1 Peter 1, 23. So notice with me in John 1 and verse 1. It'll be on the screen as well. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, the Greek word for this term, word, this translated word, or, or sometimes speech, the idea of logos is the Greek term. Commentators help us to understand that the, the Greek uh, philosophers of the day, they would consider this term logos really to be kind of the, 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 the divine thinking, the universal divine thinking. Or in other words, the mind of God. It was a, it was a concept. It was kind of this, this general idea. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John then is led by the Holy Spirit to use this term that in, in many ways was known as kind of a concept. It was known as maybe the universal divine thinking, the mind of God. And he begins to, to give descriptions of the logos, of the word. We see first that the word is eternal. Notice and this was another thing, I, I, as I studied, it was a, a similar, similarity that was brought about by one of the commentators. Notice the, the similarity between John 1.1, 1, 1, and then all the way back to the very beginning, Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. So John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. Genesis 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God. So there's a beginning to give descriptions to this logos, to this Word, to a general concept, but John's saying, no, this word is eternal. Now, if John had stopped after verse 1, then you know, maybe even the Greek philosophers of the day maybe would have said, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of in tune. I mean, maybe we could recognize that this general concept that the mind of God is eternal. But notice the language change right in the next verse of John chapter 1 and verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning 
with God. So this is no longer just a, a universal divine reason. It's no longer just a concept of the mind of God. No, this is a, a he. This is a, a person. And throughout the next few verses, we're going to see that John then develops this he is none other than Jesus Christ, the living word. We see that the word is a living person. John chapter 1 and, and verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Now the next thing that John ascribes to this living person is being the creator of the world. John chapter 1 and verse 3. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So this word, this logos, is the almighty creator. Paul would write something very similar to this later to the church in uh, Colossae. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This is such a foundational truth that a, a, another whole religion, another whole uh, idea about who Jesus Christ is, a Jehovah's Witness, have used in their, translation, in, in their translation, the New World Translation, they've inserted a very small but significant change in this passage of Colossians 1.16. In their version, it would read like this. For by him all other things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all other things were created through him and for him. There's no evidence for that in the ancient manuscripts or copies of what we have that date back you know, hundreds of years. There's no evidence of that. So we, we are to learn that, no, Jesus wasn't, you know, he wasn't created and then created everything else. No, Jesus, God the Son, is the almighty creator. He was involved and active in creation. So we see that he certainly created physical life, but then John introduces one more thing about this word, this person, Jesus Christ, that he uh, gives each, each spiritual life. Notice in John chapter 1 and verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, verse 5, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here we see that, that the word is Jesus, the Redeemer. So we are to represent the living word. This one that John says, it's not a concept, it's not just this general idea, but it is a he, it is a person, it's God the Son, it's the Almighty Creator, it is Jesus, the Redeemer. And then in verse 14, same chapter of John chapter 1, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So John is helping, trying to lead his readers to, to go from kind of this general idea of a concept of God all the way down to this is, this is God who, God the Son, incarnate Jesus Christ, who dwelt among us. He took flesh upon himself like you and me. Then John Chapter 1 and verse 14, the rest of the verse says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. A few verses even before that, we notice, But to all who did receive Him, Jesus Christ, this, this Word, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. So, 
Before we move any further, one of the key questions for you this morning is, have you accepted Jesus Christ, the living hope, and the living word? Is it, is, he just a, is it just a concept? Is Christianity just kind of this, this thought, this tradition uh, in your mind? Maybe is it something that, that, that this is, you know, always I've associated it with, you know, this country or this people or this group. Or hopefully you're beginning to see through Scripture and through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, this word is a he. It is Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, who can be your Redeemer. Now we see in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, one other living characteristic of Jesus, the living stone. The living stone, 1 Peter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone. Now I think that's significant. As you come to him, as we've already looked, I don't go to a dead doctor, I don't go to a dead coach, I don't call up you know, dead people. You're like, thank God, pastor, I'm glad to hear that. We come to Jesus. Why can we continue to come to Jesus? Why can we pray throughout the day and every day that, Lord, you know, be with us, and Lord, may I, may I serve you today? Because he's living. He's alive. He doesn't have you know, the dates on a tombstone of born here and died then. No, he is, he's eternal. He always was. He is, and he always will be. This is the Jesus Christ, the living stone. So Peter says, as we come to him, a living stone. But then we see that this living stone is rejected by many. Notice the rest of verse 4 in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by many. Jesus Christ himself told this truth in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The majority, Christ is already saying, he's already saying, listen, don't be surprised when the majority are going the wrong way. Don't be surprised when, when the gate is wide to destruction. That this is the way it's going to be. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. We see that Jesus, the Redeemer, the living stone, the living word, the living hope is rejected by many. Why? The message of Christ is considered to be foolish. The message of Christ is considered to be foolish. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, writing to the Corinthian church, a problematic church, nonetheless, they were also referred to as saints, so they were children of God, but they needed to hear instruction. And Paul's reminding them, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. It's kids' stories. It's maybe a crutch. If that works for you, great, but it, but it doesn't work for me. You may hear something like that. 1, Peter 1, or 1 Corinthians 1 verse 22 says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. I think in our, in our modern day, 2024, we could easily say, and I'm not trying to insert words into Scripture, but, but think about this. Man, we could easily say in our, in our culture, we seek knowledge. We, we want to be the most knowledgeable. We want to know. We want our, 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 uh, our technology to advance far greater than anywhere else in the world. And we want to pride ourselves in, man, we are, we are cutting edge. But in 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. 
We're not, we're not looking for signs. We're not looking for, you know, all this, all this wisdom and great philosophy and things like that. We just, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly or foolishness to the Gentiles. The message of Christ is considered to be foolish. The person and teachings of Christ are seen as limiting, as restrictive. Man, man, this is kind of cramps my style. This is just not how I want to live. I, I want to have freedom. I want to express myself. That's another idol that we have in our culture is, man, I'm going I'm to express myself and everybody should celebrate however I choose to express myself. Well, the person teaching of Christ are seen as li- limiting rather than liberating. Colossians 1.16, we see that as the creator, as God the Son, the almighty creator, Origin of life comes from him, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Okay, so let's think about this. The message of Christ, the teachings of Christ, if he truly is the almighty creator, then that can be seen as very limiting. No, I don't want to believe that Jesus is my creator. If Jesus is my creator, then I have, to, I have to look to him as the authority of how he created. Of, of, that there is a design and gender of men and women, and that is the, under the authority of the almighty creator, Jesus Christ. So I, I can't believe in that, many in the world would say, because that's very limiting. That, that limits my expression. That limits my experience that I, that I think I'm living, that I think that I have. Not only that, if Christ is the creator, he's the one who established the parameters and the biblical and healthy view of, of all of sexual preferences. Not sexual preferences, really he established what sex is all about in God's beautiful plan for marriage. But yet men and women today would say, no, no, I reject that. That's foolishness. We have sexual preferences that we can choose. It's because they reject Jesus Christ, his message, and his teachings. If Christ is the creator of marriage, which indeed he was, because we see in the beginning God in Genesis, and God brought Eve to Adam, and he joined the two of them, and so he is the creator of marriage. So if he's the creator of marriage, then he's the authority. He should be the one that we look to for advice and not to the counselors of the world. We don't look to the secular ideas of, well, you know, if it doesn't work out, you just must not be compatible. Try again, and then try again, and then try again. But if we look to Jesus as he is the creator of marriage, so we look to him for answers in that. We look to him for grace when we've made mistakes in our marriage, and we've, we've fallen, and we've had things. We look to him to restore us in him and give us purpose and value again. John chapter 14 and verse 6, we should look to Jesus as the way of life, but this is often rejected. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the life. I'm the way to live life. But yet, for those who don't believe in Christ, it's very easy and it's common in our culture to say, man, that's foolishness. I mean, if it works for you, okay, but, but I'm going to live life this way. I, I think I've found a better path. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So as as we think about this, those who don't believe in Christ, 
they're rejecting Jesus, the, the creator, the designer, the way of life, the truth. And then obviously, one thing that would come after that is, well, the afterlife. If I don't believe in Christ, if I don't believe he's the redeemer, if I don't believe he's the savior, if I don't believe he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then I'm going to come up with my own plan of after this life, after 75, 80, 85, 90, maybe 105 years, after that, then I believe this will happen or this will happen or this will happen. And there's so many different variations of what happens after our life here because Christ is rejected by many. Notice these verses on the screen in John chapter 3. says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Verse that we're very familiar with in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Right after that, it says, you know, basically, uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe in him is condemned already. This is the truth. Whether someone believes that or not, that is the truth. That is the reality that we live in because we live in the universe that God the Son has created. He's rejected by many. It's considered to be foolish, limiting. It's restrictive. This is not who I am. This is not who I want to be. But really, we'll see in a few minutes, it's liberating as we come to Christ, as we understand the design that he has for us. Another truth that we see in, back in 1 Peter chapter 2, those who reject Christ will stumble. They will stumble. 1 Peter 2, 7, for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is a reference back to Psalm 118 and verse 22. So it's a powerful reminder that, that you know, hundreds of years prior, this prophecy had been said, and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He is this cornerstone that was rejected but is made the chief cornerstone. Then notice 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense... They stumble because they disobey the word. I believe the main idea here is basically the teachings of Jesus, the gospel, the, redemption, the redeeming message in Christ. They, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now, I love, I love sports. I, I, still, I feel like at a, as a 47-year-old, I'm fairly agile on my feet you know, still. Um, not as much as I used to be, but I still I, I feel, you know, move around fairly fast, but in my family, I'm known to be the one who will stub my toe and hit my leg against stuff more than anybody else. Th things can be, you know, I, I mean, things that I pass all the time, and I'll, and I'll hit my leg. When my big toe, or my middle toe on my left uh, foot is still sore from jamming it into a, a floor joist up in our attic uh, storage space a couple weeks ago. Turned around, I've been over this little thing, you know, many, many times, but I'd stored something, and I'd turn around, and I just went, bam! And for a minute, I was like, oh my goodness, I was glad nobody was watching me. I was like, oh my goodness. Now, imagine if, this is with broad daylight, I mean, this is with lights on, this happens all the time. I run into the dishwasher, I hit, the, I hit a, a door, you know, the side of the door, it's like, 
What, what happens? And Kim will even look at me like, again? Really? So this is in broad daylight. Imagine if I were to decide, okay, family, you know, it's been really cold. Um, the heat's been on a lot. Our gas bill's going to be up. So for the next week, we're just not going to use lights. Okay, we're not going to use lights at all. It doesn't matter once it gets dark. We're just going to have the lights off. Imagine how much more I would hit my toes, I'd hit my legs, and I'm sure that I would fall. Peter's saying, listen, if you walk in darkness, if you're not coming to the light of Jesus Christ, if you're not looking to him as your savior, as your redeemer, as the way of life, Peter's saying, you are destined, you will stumble. There's no other option. You will stumble if you don't look to Jesus Christ as the light of life, as the Savior, as your your Redeemer. Matthew 22, verse 37 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment, Jesus says. So who are those who disobey the word? Well, anyone that decides, no, I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not going to love him with my heart. I'm not going to give him my life. They're disobeying the word. They're disobeying the greatest commandment that Jesus himself says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Those who reject Christ will stumble. So this cornerstone, this cheap cornerstone, is rejected by many, but he's received by some. He's received by some. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll see this in verse 4. But before that, I want to I come back to the Matthew 7 passage, the very words of Jesus in, in Matthew 7, verse 14, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So just in the verse prior we read, man, the gate is wide, and there are many that go to destruction. But now he's saying, the gate is narrow, and the way is hard. There's few that find it. There's, this isn't the multitudes of life. But it will be received by some. And Christ made it clear that we need to be inviting and pointing and elevating other people to say, listen, this, yes, it's a hard way. This isn't the prosperity gospel. That's not what we see in Scripture. This way can be difficult, but it's full of purpose and peace because Jesus Christ is the way of life. So why does, why does some receive the living hope, the living word, and the living stone. Well, notice 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Chosen and precious. The most important reason that some receive him is that God sent the Son to be the Redeemer. Christ, who is, who, the, the very name Christ is to be anointed, and God, uh, or God the Father ordained that God the Son would come in, the, in flesh dwell among us and would give his life, would offer this salvation to all. So all who receive Christ do so in response to God's abundant mercy and grace that he shows through his son, Jesus Christ. Remember the shirts, the t-shirts that we gave out at the beginning of last semester? But God, who's rich in mercy. It was really neat as we drove up to ISF Friday night and uh, one of the students who's not a believer yet, but he, he had the but God shirt on. And I just, I couldn't, I mentioned it. He won't just wear the shirt, but he'll believe the message. 
And that's my prayer for all, that, that this will become real to you, that you'll understand why does some receive Christ? Because God sent Jesus Christ. God the Son came and dwelt among us and gave his life uh, as a ransom for us. Notice 1 Peter 2 and verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Then verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. So the honor is for you who believe. God the Father esteems and values and looks. We see the relationship within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see that God the Father uh, sees Jesus Christ, God the Son, as precious, as chosen, But then beyond that, in an extension, as followers of Christ, as as those who have accepted this gift of salvation in Christ, we are considered to be precious. We are called the friends of God. And what a a blessing. Just as God the Father views the Son as precious, he sees you and me as precious. Peter's telling this to a people who were the, the elect exiles, he used that term in 1 Peter chapter 1. How many of you sometimes in 2024 in Metro Atlanta, where you work, where you go to school, where you play ball, wherever, you don't quite feel valued for your faith by others around you? Would you raise your hand and say, yeah, there are times where I, I don't quite feel that others around value my faith in Christ. Just give a public testimony. Absolutely. You and I sometimes get to look like, pity you. I mean, you, you still kind of believe all that stuff. Maybe, maybe one day you'll kind of come out of the, of the, of the fable. You know, maybe one day you'll, you'll kind of get the knowledge and the wisdom that we in the world have. And we're, we're not seen oftentimes as the intelligent ones. We're oftentimes seen as foolish and childish and kind of silly and sometimes downright annoying. People are like, man, I, I, I really don't want your message, okay? I, I don't... <laughs> Come and work and come and play and do this, but don't talk about Jesus, okay? But we see that God the Father values us as precious. I want to show this next slide here. Anybody watched this ever before, the Antique Roadshow? So Kim has a love for treasures, whether it be in a thrift store or an antique shop or, or whatever. So I have, I've been dragged in to watch a few of these episodes through the years. But it is interesting. As people come, this, this show has been in 48 states. It's been in Canada. Uh, it's been in the District of Columbia. Uh, it's run for 25 plus seasons, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it's been around for a long time. The public uh, broadcasting uh, network, I believe, is where it, where it shows. But this has been around. And so volunteers come, antique dealers and those who are knowledgeable in these things will come and volunteer their time. I learned that they're not paid They get fed food and I think maybe a place to stay. But other than that, they're not paid for their work. But they come and then those who are collectors and those who have items will come to the Antique Roadshow and show what they have. Some of these things they've gotten from yard sales and rummage sales and through storage units that have been auctioned off. And they think they found treasure or at least they, they hope that they found some treasures. And they'll bring them to the Antique Roadshow. And then someone who has the expertise and has the knowledge will look at that and give an evaluation. All right, this is one of the items that, that, uh, that came. How much would you pay if you just saw this blanket at Goodwill? How much would you pay for that blanket? 
Kim says, I don't buy blankets at Goodwill. Okay, that's one answer. What else? Five, oh, man, Owen goes six bucks. Christina, five bucks. Owen goes six bucks. How about $1,500,000, maybe all the way up to $2 million? Well, why? Well, because it was the Navajo Ute first phase blanket. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. So someone who knows the past and the history and, and all of kind of behind this blanket has given this appraisal of, man, this, your, your blanket, that I don't know where it was found, I don't know who, who brought it, but this is on the show that it was valued at $1.5 million. In my eyes, I would be with Kim or Christina, maybe owing five, six bucks, maybe, maybe 10. I mean, you're stretching it, $10 if I'm really desperate. The world in which we live, as we live, as we do school, as we work, as we're in the neighborhood, we're not going to be valued very much. As people look at us, they're going to think oftentimes that we're silly, that we kind of need to grow up and we kind of need to stop doing, you know, using the Bible as a crutch. But I'm so thankful that God the Father is the one who gives our worth. He's the one who knows it all. He's the one who sent his very own son to shed his precious blood for you and for me. And he looks at us, he looks at his son and calls him precious. And he looks at you and me and he calls us precious as well. Jesus said the same. Notice this in John chapter 17 and verse 21. That they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. And then in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you, you loved me. Thank God for that. It doesn't matter if someone else that I, that I want their recognition, I want their approval, but they may very well look at me and go, man, you are foolish. You've given your life to be a what? You're a pastor? You do what on Sundays? You do what during the week? How crazy? You, you're, and may look at you, you're a follower of who? You do what? But yet God says, and Jesus says, Listen, I've given glory to them, and I, I want the world to see that as you have loved me, God the Son, so have you loved them, and them is you and me as followers of Christ. Whoever believes in him, we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The world rejects Jesus as the chief cornerstone, you who believe in Christ, though, will not be shamed in the end. You may be viewed as kind of on the losing side right now and maybe a little crazy, maybe a little insane, but in the end, you will not be put to shame. We know the end of the story. We know that God, as the creator of the universe, uh, is, is the, 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 the one who conquered death and sin. You'll not face condemnation since Christ already defeated death and sin for you. He continues to be your living hope, your living word, and your living stone. Instead of stumbling and falling like those who reject Christ and the light of the gospel, 
you will be lifted up to walk in victory through Christ. So as believers, don't walk around in the dark. To allow Christ to shed light on your life and open his word that it would be a light into your life and path to your feet. Don't do crazy things and stub your toe and wreck your life and wreck your relationships and these things. But look to Christ and say, listen, you're my life. You're my light. Guide me. Help me to follow you as my shepherd. Help me to represent you uh, in, in Christ. Paul was beaten. He was stoned. He was left for dead, but he was able to boldly proclaim at the end of 2 Timothy, he says this in chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You and I should be representatives of, for Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish this morning?